My name is Matilda Zijena and welcome to our very first conversation on Walk the Talk, the podcast. Our very first guest, Philippa Sibanda, is a Zimbabwean firebrand social entrepreneur whose passion and purpose lie in championing the empowerment of women and youth entrepreneurs in Zimbabwe, Africa and the world. She's the founder of GBI Marketplace, a founding partner and director at the GBI Hub. She's a co-founder at Dominion Innovative Creations. She's also a qualified respiratory care practitioner who is currently focused on improving emergency medicine services in Zimbabwe. Join me as I talk to her about her journey as an entrepreneur and especially as a social entrepreneur. Her story is very inspiring and I hope you can join me. Okay, Philippa, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So you're a social entrepreneur. You're the founder of um, Global Business Incubation Hub. You are also the executive director at Dominion Innovative Creations. And many other things, but you're also mother in chief, mom in chief to your little man, your precious son, who is seven. You'll talk to us about him a bit later. Welcome to Walk the Talk. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on your um, podcast. Yeah. Your Facebook profile describes you as a social entrepreneur whose focus is accelerating business globally, globally sorry, and connecting knowledge gaps. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, when we talk about the global space, we have challenges sometimes connecting you know, our view of global and someone in San Francisco's view of global right. or someone in London's view of global. So, you know, when, you're, when you come back home here in Zimbabwe, you want to make sure that as we, even though we're in our ecosystem here locally, we have to think beyond local right. and beyond our own borders, beyond our own continent. And so connecting all those gaps Yes. Um, being able to, to, to sort of leapfrog from what we've learned oh, from the yes. 20 years of living in the U.S. and traveling okay. to many, many different countries. Right. And seeing that sometimes we do have a gap in the understanding of what that global might mean when yes. we're local. That's right. We yeah. are operating in a global village now, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So definitely want to be connecting with that. Right. Okay. Would I be correct to say you're a passion... Your passion and purpose lies in championing empowerment of women and youth entrepreneurs in Zimbabwe, Africa, and the world at large? Yes, it is. And while I could be doing exactly the same thing in California, which would be great, I just felt such a strong need to, at this age when I'm still really active and have you know years of experience, and in a position that I could, you know, go ahead and, you know, spend a lot of time locally in Zimbabwe. Women empowerment, you know, is a buzzword now. Right. Where a lot of folks talk about it and it's just another one of those words, um, like, take for instance, affirmative action. Right. So you have these words that sometimes don't always translate to results. Yeah. And we have to be really practical about how we're saying we're empowering women. Yeah, so yeah. entrepreneurship becomes the immediate answer to this idea of women empowerment. Um, right. Really going in and taking a, a holistic approach to entrepreneurship, meaning nothing is left unturned. We look at the entire person. 
because the entire yes. person is the founder of the organization. That's right. And if they can, if they have challenges at home, if they're going through domestic violence, if they are struggling with, you know, HIV and AIDS, whatever their situation might be, it contributes to whether or not they can successfully launch their company and succeed at it. That's right. So we try to take that holistic approach as opposed to, to a lot of like the startups around the world, you know, in, in on the other side of the world where it's all about the business. That's true. And the person is almost left out of it and they're a shell because... That can't be the case. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you can't do that. You can't because, yeah. you know, you invest in the person, don't you? You have to. Yeah. And so that's... So that's what we do at the Innovation Hub. We really try to connect with the person, with the founders, yes. uh, making sure that they are balanced as much as possible while they're on their journey to, you know, wherever it takes them. Right. But you know, they get a chance to to balance it out with a healthy meal, enough sleep, so that they're not crashing. Because entrepreneurship is not easy. Oh, you know? please tell so. me about it. <laughs> I know. So it is we, yeah. Such a lonely journey. Isn't it? it can be. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're really doing it and you are just jumping off the cliff, so to speak, yeah. you will feel it. I mean, family members will probably walk away from you because they don't understand it. <laughs> like, journey. what are you doing? Do yeah. you ever get the You know, what is entrepreneurship? Is it being broke all the time? <laughs> so I always tell my, um, you know, the people I work with, the young entrepreneurs particularly and the women, that entrepreneurship in its best sense, is really the Maslow hierarchy of needs in, yes. inverted. Yes. So meaning your self-esteem has to be... You have to be actualized first before you even worry about <laughs> that is basic true. needs. Yes, and, and so, be sure. Yeah, so a lot of people struggle with that. I mean, how can I let go of my basic needs to, to champion a journey? It's almost... It's not the conventional wisdom. So you have to have that great actualization to truly believe in yourself and be confident in yourself that you will say you know what it's willing it's worth the sacrifice and i will make it at some point i had really never looked at it that way yeah that is quite insightful because it truly is the the case yeah you need to be so committed to your cause that you are not distracted by anyone else saying anything else about what you're trying to be exactly so you, you need the focus and then, so yeah, the incubator becomes a, a really great place to go to because you're going to have like-minded people there. Um, it's a getaway in a way. It's a conducive environment that allows you to be yourself yeah. um, as opposed to take, for instance, trying to start up at home or trying to start up you know, in a regular business setting where maybe they don't quite understand yeah. that, that innovative type person yes. um, because you're, you're not following the normal rules, so to speak. So you provide community. Correct, yeah. correct. Yeah. So we're really, um, if there's anything that I can say about the, the Innovation Hub is that village setup where we partner, we coordinate, we, you know, we count on each other. Right. And during that journey... And you'll find it's amazing because there are folks that started off in boot camps where they had no idea. They just had, they had a slight idea what they wanted to do, but they didn't know how to get there. But today they have multiple offices, they have multiple employees, and they're doing really well. They just started. And they just started, well, about, you you know, six months ago, yeah. Really? In this environment? In In Zimbabwe? In Zimbabwe, yes. Really? So we're seeing those kind of um, stories and... 
you're seeing it unfolding and, and it's just really inspiring even to me, you know, yes. knowing I've always thought this would work, but yes. to see it unfold and actually see what comes out of it yes. is amazing. Lovely. So, you know, we'd love to profile all these entrepreneurs that have come out of um, sure. the G- GBI. I'll take you back um, to when your career began in your early 20s, was it? Or much earlier, you'll correct me. You moved to the States. I moved to the States when I was about, I believe, 19 or 20. 19 or 20. Yeah. I had it here as early 20s. Early 20s, <laughs> yeah. Research. So about 20. I, yeah. I think I was 20 by the time I was in America. Right. And I had started off in in aviation. Yes. So yes, you're a pilot, are I'm you? I'm a pilot originally. What is this? So why did you move away from being a pilot? What was that? It was just timing. You know, I think when you're built dynamically, when the market changes, you respond. Mm. So at that time in, in, in the U.S., you know, there was a lot of changes in the aviation industry. Mm. So a lot of companies were shutting down um, because they just, the fuel prices were super high at the time. Mm. And it didn't look like my outlook down the road would be worth it. You know. yes. So uh, I got really? mentorship. As a pilot? As a pilot. As a I, pilot? Yeah. What were you flying? Commercial? Were you... Yeah, I was still, I was I was flying commercial. I was flying Cessnas, um, you know, like a 402 is what I was flying at the time. But wow, that is impressive. Yeah, so what happened is I was in aviation school, yes. but I piggy banked on the flying side um in, in a small airport called Opalaka off of Miami. If you know where uh, Aliyah died, yeah. yes. she came out of that oh, airport. Oh, please don't talk about Aliyah. Yeah, so just to My give heart. you a you know, geography. So we would fly to the Bahamas yeah. uh, and back. That's, yeah. that's what would happen out of that airport. But here's what happened. When my one of my professors who was an Air Force uh, pilot and was a professor in aviation, yeah, he he looked at me and he says, you know, you're from Zimbabwe, and, <laughs> and um, maybe you should think about other choices. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to discourage me, but he was being real and honest with me that at the time, after I graduated, it's possible yeah. that after spending all this money, I may not find a job right away. Really? Because of the industry at the time. So did you actually practice? As a, did you actually yeah, fly yeah, as a pilot? I mean, you, you build hours. That's you how build it, hours. Yeah, that's yeah. how it works. Yeah. So it, it became obvious to me that if I didn't make a decision at that time to make some changes in my life, I might end up being stuck, no job, and come back home with nothing to show for it. So yeah. instead I went um, and got a business degree. Okay. And off of the back, straight off the bat, you went into business school? Yes, I did. I got a degree in business administration, uh-huh. and um, from there I ended up um, in an environment, in a corporate American type of environment. Yes. I worked with AT&T, um, telecommunications. Is that telecoms, yeah. 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 And it was very, um, it was exciting, it was dynamic. It was back in the day when SBC Wireless was um, converting to singular wireless, and then you know, what we have today is AT&T. So a lot of changes. And I realized that I did well in changing environments. I was just really good at adapting to change generally. Yes. I also had about 300 people that reported to me. Yes, and was that at the age of 20? 24. 24. 24, yes. It was hectic. But it also gave me a lot of backbone. And I I knew early on what I would want to do in life and what I wouldn't want because I've done it. So then I knew, you know what, it's great to have all these people report to me, but the corporate American job was not what I wanted. Mm. So I went back to the drawing board 
again. Again. Yeah. And um, while I was trying to figure it out, someone showed up in my life who was the director of respiratory care. Right. Um, and he kind of offered for me to come into the program, and I didn't know much about it. Where did you meet him? I mean, you're in corporate America. Yeah, and so I, I was in corporate America, but yeah. I was going to go back to school and, you know, increase my... I had been told the healthcare industry was a good place to go. Right. Because you could work hours and then take off, because I love <laughs> to travel, and I just... Yeah. I didn't feel like I was... In corporate America, I was getting enough time to really explore some of my interests. Yes, yeah. right. So... By going back to the drawing board, going back to school, gave me a chance to to look at what other options would be there. But I didn't have much time to to really think about it. I had started school in a summertime, which was in May. Yes. And this director walked into one of our science classes, yes. I think microbiology class, and says, "I'm recruiting." Microbiology. Yeah. <laughs> says I'm recruiting for uh, you know, for my program for res- for respiratory care practitioners. Right. You know you. You will learn pulmonary medicine and lung, you know, how to manage lungs and wow. lung disease. And I yes. thought, well, I didn't know much about it. In fact, I used to say... Respite. Did they give you numbers in terms of this is what you'll be making? Did, you know, yeah, what got you I, into that? I kind of knew I would always get a pay cut <laughs> because I had already rose up in the ranks. Yes. And mm. I was, you know, you know, pretty... I was in a good management position by yes. the time that... I'd have thought you'd have just stayed to climb the ladder. No. When you're when you're built a certain way, it's never really enough, I know. right? It just doesn't. Work. <laughs> Until it feels it's right. it's really about you and what makes you happy. So in yes. the end, I opted to just check it out and lean in. I will say I lean in, like Oprah says. About, yes. Um, when something comes up, you know, sometimes you don't spend too much time questioning it and exactly. just really get in it. Moved into it. Yeah. So that's what happened. I went, got started with it. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but it was a very hard program. We started off, I guess, about 25 of us and graduated only nine. Nine? Yes. Wow. Yeah, suffice to say, I was the only black person that graduated. Were you? Yeah. So how long did it take you to qualify as a respiratory care practitioner? So you had to already have an undergrad degree. So you had to have already a bachelor degree at the time. Or you had to have so many sciences. By the time you add them all up, it was was a lot. You had enough credits to go. Yeah. Yeah. And then you then had to take two more years of that program. Really? Outside of your previous study? Yeah. Wow. And then you had certifications and everything that goes with it. Wow. But yeah, so it was quite a journey. So renowned strategist Tony Robbins has said that owning a business is for gladiators. What inspired you to enter the, the startup space with the various ventures that you have now embarked on? Are you a gladiator? I am a total gladiator. <laughs> I am the epitome of it. So what happened really was personal. Yeah. I ended up being a single parent. Yeah. And I felt a need to come back home to Zimbabwe. Mm. But I had to figure out how to create an income in Zimbabwe. Yes. And it was really difficult to figure that out. So off the bat, the first thing I had done was, in 2008, I had come home because I was burned out. Yes. In fact, that is a decision that drove me to go into healthcare. You I, tend to get burnt out, don't you, when you're yeah, out there? Yeah. And people don't know about yeah. that. And some no, people they don't, don't even know that they're totally burned out. They need to take time out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I had burnt out in 2008. And I came to them to to do like six months here and six months in the States. Yeah. While I was here, I realized, because there was no food on the shelves, I started my first yeah. online platform, which was called uh, ZimGroceries.com. Yes. So while I was at it, it was really difficult at the time because 2008, there were no payment gateways. No, there, there were 
I think the black we, market was rough. Yeah, we're yeah. using at the time we're using Mapcrest, not yeah. Google Maps. <laughs> so yeah, it was rough. Yeah, it was a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the process to make it happen meant you know payments were being made all over the world. That's right. In different accounts, and then I'd have to verify. It was really complex. But after a while, we started getting 50, 60 orders a day, sometimes 100 orders a day. It was so overwhelming. And at that time is when I knew that I had, I had stumbled onto something. Yes. And thank God, the currencies changed to U.S. dollars. Yes, in that moment. In yeah. that moment. Yeah. So I had Overnight. maybe maybe a run of like six months of insanity yes. where we were trying to find where... An address in Fakosi was. Yes. Oh, were you delivering at yes, the time already? Yes. Were While you? I was here in home. Oh, okay. So at that time, I knew sort of I would create an Amazon.com. I knew that. Yes. But I just didn't know. After after having the kind of experience I'd had, mm-hmm. I knew that it wasn't simple. It was a very complex thing. So I chose to go back into healthcare. Mm-hmm. and go back to the drawing board and start thinking it through again. So you went back to the States? I went back to the States. I then got married. I ended up, you know, with my little boy. Lovely. And um, so another life change happened. Mm-hmm. Some many years later, I think four or five years later, when things didn't work out yeah. in my marriage, I ended up coming back home to be with my family and get support. What year was that? That 2014? was 2014. Yeah. So while I was here, and I had sold my home in California because I was You just, sold your home as well? Yes. So you were committed on the move? Yes, I was committed on the move. So I walk in, and I'm thinking about that Amazon. So in the year of 2014, 2015, yeah. I try to package things as opposed to selling them individually. Okay. And... In so that the, people just came and got a whole basket of... Exactly. So, of you know, we focused on baskets. Mm. And one, one of the things that I noticed on the market was that the intellectual property, very quickly, we had some competitor, I won't mention names, yes. but they're a big corporation, yes. and quickly copied and pasted exactly what we had done. Wow. But and what, maybe because they had the network. Yeah, no, they had the infrastructure. infrastructure, yeah. Well, they didn't grow. They stumbled. Did they, did but they know? why they stumbled is because they did not know what I knew. Yes. Right? And what was that? What was that is that I had already tried it in the holidays. Yes. In December of 2015, yes. I went out and got about 300 orders of those baskets. You did? Yes. 300 orders yes. for groceries, for, for delivery. groceries, just before From Christmas. the diaspora. Yes. To their families back yeah, Exactly. Home. And yeah. I'll tell you what. We had like a conveyor belt kind of system yes. that was working. And that thing was insane. It was not practical to do it. In that way. Really? So I think it was simple for people to look on a website and say, this can be done easily and all of that. What were the logistical challenges that you encountered? It was a lot. It was um, mainly, I think for me, the hardest piece was getting the product packaged mm-hmm. as we thought of it conceptually. We were conceptualizing it. But in practical ten- yeah. sense, it wasn't as simple. Mm-hmm. Um, was it shortage of goods or the products on the shelves? What was it? Those were now available. When when you're making a gift basket and you're making it for a gift, it's a smaller package and the items sit pretty well. But when you're making it for groceries and you have, you know, rice in there, cooking oil, it does not come out right. So the packaging becomes a challenge. Packaging becomes a challenge. The way it looks and appears, it just didn't fit my bill. 
And in the end, we did it. We got it done and succeeded. But I wasn't happy. Wow. And I sat back down and I said, okay, I got to go back to the cardboard box, which yeah. is, you know, the original concept. Which is great. Because yeah. then you're able to just, it's secure, it's safe. Yeah. You're just exactly. loading it up and then sealing it off and then you're delivering. Exactly. Yeah. So went back to the drawing board. But one of my realizations through the early stage of our startup was that, because we had already seeded a digital marketing company that yes. also was doing advertising on the ground. And because when I first came to Zim in 2014, one of the first things I noticed was that marketing, the, the, the image was yeah. not right. Yes. And right. even the largest corporations did yes. not It wasn't a priority because of the environment. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, so we yeah. all, we, you know, we said, uh, not realizing what I was doing, that I was incubating companies already, right. I supported this company, seeded this company, which is now Dominion Innovative Creations. Then I went back to the States and I realized that it was happening already in America. What I was doing in Zimbabwe was already happening in America. And it was, I, my colleagues in Oakland, California had an impact hub. Really? So I visited them and, you know, I thought, well, maybe I could apply to do the franchise. By the time I applied, I guess someone else in Zimbabwe had already applied. For the same hub. For the same franchise, yeah. Yes. So I said, you know what, it's fine because what I need to do I probably wouldn't be able to do it with already made franchise. The confines of yeah. the franchise agreement. Yeah. So I still need to go ahead and just build this thing from ground zero and make right. it what I know will work for Zimbabwe. So you founded the Global Business Incubation Hub in Harare. Correct. What year was that? So that was early 2015. Early 2015. Yeah. Yeah. And what is that? So it's an ecosystem that supports budding entrepreneurs. Correct. How have you? Um, how did you get people to um, create? Or how did you create awareness for the brand? How did you get people to come on board and what was your vetting process? So because we already had a strategic company that was in digital marketing space, that's all we did, digital marketing, yes. mostly Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't spend a lot of money on any other form of advertising because mm -hmm. we mastered how to be on Facebook yes. and be loud and visible. That's good. And it worked for us. And people came. And, yeah, and then once the word got out, we started getting traffic. So in the beginning, because, you know, from a woman's perspective, Right. You when, you when you think about it and you think about these entities, you realize that there's no... One of the reasons why it's so complex in the startup space is because there's no real formula, right? No, no, there is So isn't. we can go in and start going through a, a vetting process and all of this, but really the startup that first shows up through the door doesn't have structure yet, doesn't, doesn't. even know. So they might fail a vetting process. That's true. But they're the real startup that you want in there. So for me, in the beginning, it was all about opening our doors out wide open to allow young people to come in, to feel confident. And what ended up happening on its own is that they began to just build themselves up, meaning they would lock up mm -hmm. themselves at the end of the day. Wow. They would manage themselves in terms of you know collecting rentals for space, wow. manage the, the events, anything that we're doing for moving, they would move themselves really so in the end i just saw that it, they, they took responsibility they t took ownership of this gbi it no longer was my gbi it was their gbi exactly they needed it yeah. for, for the purposes of yeah. growth for themselves so, yeah so they really took ownership and then i saw the ecosystem building itself up and i knew i was in the right direction so um it takes me back to my marketplace journey because it's yeah. always been my desire to stay in the marketplace space Right. But uh, one of the, the key takeaways 
from having the hub was learning that the only people who were capable of embarking on a journey such as marketplace yes. would be entrepreneurs. Of course. Because they're already in the mindset of of you know driving something. Mm-hmm. So in order for us to push marketplace off the ground, we would need to be around a lot of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who would be able to um, help us. And my going back and forth to the States, I would watch the way Uber was growing yes. and how Uber would tr- attract entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that while they're building their own businesses, come Uber, yes. you know, while you're building your own business, come and, you know, set up for A, B, and B. Exactly. And so that was kind of the philosophy that made me believe that the next step was, you know, only launch marketplace, relaunch marketplace when you have enough pool of entrepreneurs who could support the cause. That's right. Mm. Okay. Your last Saturday, so I'll move away from the hub. Okay. Um, or maybe before we do, do you want to maybe share some success stories that you've had at the Hub? Sure. Any sort of success stories that you've had of entrepreneurs that came in and you helped their startup um, and what they're doing now? So I think one of my pride um, successes is Dominion Innovative Creations. It has a lot of challenges, yes. but I, I'm, I'm very impressed at the level of design over the past years. Okay. Um, we, we currently have... Um, the award-winning stand at ZITF two years in a row, the Delta stand, That's impressive. was done and implemented by Dominion. You know, at least most of the, the items were done, uh, the pieces that make the stand. Right. Um, then recently, more recently, they just won an award in Switzerland for quality design. How does that happen? How does a Zimbabwean um, startup win a, an award in Switzerland? What happened? Because of digital marketing. Yes. And I think because we're always on that space, mm-hmm. we, are, we are seen globally. You what know? was the criteria for this award? Um, I'm not really sure because by the time that they were reaching out to us, they'd already allocated a goal. Oh, they reached out to yeah. you guys yeah. after doing their own research. Yeah, no, they didn't. They never actually vetted us or found out by the time that they they were actually giving us that award they were just after giving it to you. after they looked at the quality of wow. our work. Oh, yeah, that's good. So we didn't get a chance to sit on a panel or anything and be questioned. It, they the work spoke for itself. Wow. Yeah, that is impressive. So that's one of the stories, and I think the. Um, the other story in the the branding space was obviously Tanya Muzinda and the work that we did around how you know thrive beyond illness yes and um, that ended up being picked up by ESPN and Tanya has obviously since taken off really well after yes, that she has. Yeah. yes she has and then the third and last story that I'm, I'm you know I don't want to go on and on about our successes but yes. the Wella Healthcare which is our healthcare enterprise piece yes and we're sitting in the office here for Wella right yes, now yes yes the, the the idea behind diaspora onboarding you know that's really a passion area for me and so when we actually created a company that diaspora onboarded and did a job yes. locally, which we're all at Avenues Clinic working locally yes. as diaspora, it showed that it can work and right. well as successfully went in. Because when a company needs assistance from consultant group or advisory groups and the people that are advising are also part and parcel of that ecosystem, a lot of times they can't really push the envelope as much as someone else from the outside who's not a part of that environment and so because we're not a part of that environment we just know what's right and what needs to be done and so we're we're totally channeled and focused on getting it right Mm -hmm. at every cost so you know there's no real compromise but success 
That's but right. you know the right standard, the right way of doing things, and just get it done correctly the first time. So how so, how are you pitching this concept to the diaspora? So with the diaspora, we're really just trying to get them in the mindset that they can do it by seeing us on the ground and doing some of these things, whether it's the innovation hub, or, but also working on, on you know ideas around how else can we assist the diaspora so that it's not a, such a hard journey. Because it is such a hard journey when you first come back home. That's true. And it's there's so many challenges and barriers. And a lot of us, you know, will naturally pack up bags and go back if it doesn't if we feel like it's not working. Right. So trying to find ways to also make that easier by pitching and lobbying to the government. I mean you saw me, I don't know if you saw me a couple of weeks ago I was yeah. at the CEO conference. Yes. That's pitching and lobbying to the CEOs of Zimbabwe and it's saying true. you know, can we can we start rethinking this whole diaspora thing and it's not true. just look at us as um, Intruders know, uh, um, or, or accusing people of yeah, having gone and come back. Exactly. It's like, what or, are you buying? Or just, you know, send money, you know, which is the other thing. <laughs> it's to go back, stay there, and just send money. Yeah. And we'll be here spending yeah. money. But that's, I think, what the, the, the one thing that I learned because I returned to Zimbabwe from Australia in 2013 was just the, the feeling that you have to pay your dues to reintegrate in a society that you call your own. Exactly. I found that really challenging. Yeah, no, yeah. It's true. and it takes a lot of time yeah. to actually reintegrate into the Zimbabwean society. So at the Innovation Hub, we also have a product called Virtual Office, specifically designed for the diaspora. Right. Um, so, and and we um, have a platform for them called Diaspora Insights. Right. And that is all about what matters to the diaspora, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of work that's being done behind the scenes in terms of the diaspora policy and all of that. But a lot of times you find the people sitting on that don't rep- are not really a, a key representation of the mix around the diaspora. Right. So it's important to, to speak to the diaspora on the issues as opposed to, you know, assuming that we know what the issues are and just going ahead and sort of preempting policy without really hearing the masses speak and that can still That's be true. done. Yeah. That's true. So I think it's it's just sounding, you know, being that sounding platform, which is what Diaspora Insights does. It's a sounding platform for the issues that diasporans have to be heard. Mm-hmm. And January we had one here in, in Harare. This is our second year at right. it. Okay. And then we are going to be in Boston. We're going to be in Toronto mm-hmm. and in London later on this year. Yeah, I think it's really important. Yeah. I think for both sides, people that are in Zimbabwe in the diaspora and is trying to come back home, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of suspicion on either side of the fence. Oh, yeah. yeah. So definitely. I think that those issues need to be addressed because I had first-hand experience as well, so I know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we'll go back to your... Um, to the to your work with Wella. Okay. Um, last Saturday, I came and listened to your impassioned presentation about the state of our emergency medical services. Right. You are advocating for policy changes to allow for systems to be more effective. Tell me a bit about that, because I was pretty terrified by what you spoke well, of. I think the the question is the the regulatory piece in terms of emergency services. I think we have to. Um, I'm an element of emergency services, but I'm very specific. I'm very specific, uh, specialized. I'm yes. a respiratory care practitioner, right. so pulmonary medicine is is my field, and that integrates into the emerg- that piece of it integrates into the emergency medicine part. Right. But we ought to have standards mm-hmm. where there's sort of a benchmark for wherever you go, 
there should should be the same expectation right. in terms of what will be done, these gold standards, mm-hmm. right? So, if, you know, for instance, on Saturday, I was talking particularly to the EMS people mm-hmm. who are running these ambulances, and sometimes they're, they don't, they're not necessarily equipped with the right equipment, um, but they'll still take the call and go to that someone's house. Yeah, and so that is where I was saying we ought to then say, we're not able to take that call because if you're saying somebody is not breathing right now, then let's find you somebody who has all the equipment because I can come there, but I don't have an oxygen tank. I don't have an ability to intubate or put an airway or manage you up until I get to the hospital. Right. So that it passes on to somebody who can do it. Exactly. And then, you know, we have a better chance of saving lives. But also more importantly, that our community, our, our civilian citizens need to have an awareness within their own communities. Right. In every community, you should have somewhere where you can call on, you know, particularly in the in the more um, populated communities, whether it's yeah. Glenview, Chitungiza. Yeah. They're already pretty well set up as a community, meaning they're, they're sort of champions. In every community like that, there's Kumusha, there's Sabuk. So that we should be able to go to Sabuk, and Sabuk should have a defibrillator. Yes. Yeah? Wow. And Sabuk should have an oxygen tank there so that in in the event of a crisis there's someone local there where we're not waiting just for an ambulance to show up but we're beginning to actually start care even at the the local yeah within the community and I think it's possible pretty much whatever we choose to do is possible it's possible yeah so because then you need skilled personnel yeah so it's all of that training Mm -hmm. it's all of that going around the country and just really imparting these skills which are not some of them can be really important because they're not um rocket science or anything. No. It's just enough for them to know, okay, if something like this is happening, mm-hmm. what are we looking for? What are the signs that we're looking for? What could we immediately do right now mm-hmm. as we wait for an ambulance to come or for us to take this person to the doctors or mm-hmm. something like that? Yeah. yeah. You also spoke about the importance of healthcare professionals being more compassionate, especially mm-hmm. uh, those that are working in emergency services. Well, Can you speak on that? Totally. Um, it's what I was alluding to is that healthcare, being a healthcare professional is not for everyone. Right. And I know this. You know, even after fifteen years of being in it, I have moments in my life where I burn out. Yeah. And when you when you can tell that you're burnout, out, it's time to stop for a minute and take a break. Yeah. You know, um, and then come back when you're in a space where you can feel for other people. Mm-hmm. But because there are long hours that are worked in healthcare. Long, very hard hours. Yeah. A lot of times, very short-staffed. Yeah. We don't have an opportunity to reflect or see that we're no longer connecting with the patients or with their families. We're now on a routine and become sort of robotic. And not value life. Yeah. yeah. And you become desensitized sometimes, mm, mm, you know, mm. because you're traumatized on a day-to-day of basis. Of course, that is trauma. Know, by seeing Do you get death and all of that every day. Do you get um, counseling? Do health professionals get counseling? Most of them don't. Actually, and it's not an issue just for for Zimbabwe alone. It's an Mm. issue around the world. It's a global issue. Uh, I think my CEO for for Kaiser Permanente, Mm -hmm. he's only just started really talking about it recently, about, Mm. about, you know, the the care, even just having leave days Mm. where people take time off because they're burned out or because, you know, they're feeling a little down or anything like that. But it's not something that globally... Is, is seen as a problem, but it is. It is. Oh, if you start really looking is. at the numbers of, 
of high blood pressure in, the, in that community, you start looking at divorce rates or whatever else you look at, you're going to see that it's directly linked to the job. It's true. Mm. Certainly, I mean, war veterans um, have most for definitely years. post post traumatic stress. Exactly. Yeah, um, it's it's in a way, it's yeah, it's a, it's a it's a kind of uh, daily post traumatic stress. <sighs> Unbelievable, yeah. actually, when you think about it. Okay, um, uh, what mistakes do you think you've learned um, over the years as a social entrepreneur? So, what lessons have you learned? What mistakes have you made and learned from as an entrepreneur? I think my biggest mistake is um, really not living up to your instinct. <laughs> yeah. You know how you can feel something's not right? Yes, and you can absolutely. Keep, um, so I've become more in tune with that because sometimes it's, it's one of the best campuses mm. to redirect you. Um, not making changes fast enough. True. So, yeah. So when you hear about it, yeah, you need to think fast enough. Yeah, you need to go ahead and um, make difficult, bold decisions right away. Yes. As an entrepreneur, otherwise you spend more time uh, doing something that's not working. That's right. So yeah. Yeah, because you we get emotionally tied mm. down to our ideas and concepts, so it's really difficult to let go. Yeah. Uh, you want so. it to work, and you're five years in, and you know you no. should let go. Yeah. It's not working out, but you're mm. in there. And there's on. nothing wrong with that, but sometimes you have to take a detour mm. and then go still where you're going, because exactly. otherwise, you might become obsolete before you get started. That's true. Mm. That's true. You gave a TEDx talk in Mauritius. Yeah. Why not in Zimbabwe? How did that come about? <laughs> well, it you was are obviously a global. <laughs> <laughs> not only just global, but it's, it was really important because one of our students that um, is actually going to be doing an attachment now, mm-hmm. Zimbabwean student, is in Mauritius, and he kept talking about the space. Mm-hmm. And, and the topic of the year was in 2017 was on gender. And mm-hmm. Mauritius is powerful because they have a female president. Mm-hmm. You know, their first female president. Yes. So for me, it was a stage I, I wanted to talk on because it was a stage that she's spoken on. Mm-hmm. And I felt it, it had more meaning there than anywhere else in the world because talking about gender inequality in a place where they've actually recognized a woman to the point of raising them. To the yeah, office. Yeah. It had more meaning to, to talk about that in Mauritius than anywhere else. Yeah. So yeah, it was an, it was a great invitation from um, the TEDx people in Mauritius. They did an amazing job putting it all together, and it was a great panel of speakers. And mm. I had an amazing time there. So. Wow, impressive! What advice would you give your young your younger self, your younger Philippa? What what advice would you give her? Say your eighteen year old self. I don't know. I kind of. The younger Philippa did a lot of exploring. Did she? Yeah, she did. <laughs> and maybe, I think, um, really understanding the power of relationships. Yeah. I think understanding that um, you have to let go sometimes. Not all relationships will work for you. That's and true. And I think the younger Philippa sometimes would want to hold, hold on. Hold on. And <laughs> it's just one of those things where once you see that you don't have a common ground or common, you know, you're just going to be pulling back and forth, so you might as well let go. Let go. Yeah. It's such a challenge. Yeah. Um, lastly, Philippa, entrepreneurs in Zimbabwe are operating under some of the toughest economic conditions. What is your biggest piece of advice that you would give them in terms of building a business and a brand in this environment? I think the biggest advice uh, would be don't work alone. Don't work alone. Don't work alone. Yeah. Find somebody. Find somewhere to go. 
mm-hmm. whether it's a, a you know, you're, of course, you're always welcome to GBI. <laughs> of course, but shameless um, plug. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is, you know, you go faster when you collaborate. It's true. As opposed to it trying to true. work alone. Yeah. And so we we've got to sort of shift from the the previous generation, which was very much Musayama. Yes. Um, Museyama is the reason why we've got so many little surgeries around her. Yeah. Yeah, all of that. The yeah. nepotism. Yes, nepotism. The many little, little, um, little everything. So because we're doing things alone, everything yeah. is little. That's you know, right. so you have a little surgery here, a dental office there, you know, small, small, small things. No real growth strategy. Yeah. So if you come together, you partner, you find common ground, you then be begin to build the multi-million dollar enterprises mm. you know they need more than one person it's true so, so that's the importance the, of collaboration cannot yeah, be overemphasized yeah. it's true and finding that middle ground collaboration is not easy either but yeah. if you can find the middle ground you can just find a place where you can agree with yeah. or agree on and then you move from there that's and, right and get started yeah wow that was a great conversation. Thank but thank you. you very thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you for walking your talk. All right. Your story is inspiring, and I'm sure it will inspire many Zimbabweans. There you have it, Zimbabwe. Um, many inspiring stories to come and walk the talk. Um, I hope you'll stay tuned for more inspiring stories here. Thank you very much. Until next time. Well, there you have it, Zimbabwe. Our very first interview and I hope that Philippa Sibando's story has inspired you as much as it inspired me. Um, We're excited to continue to share these stories on our podcast, Walk the Talk. Please feel free to share your comments and give us feedback so that we know if we have anything that we need to improve on, if there's anything we're doing well, we'd love to hear your feedback. Plus, if you know anyone that needs to be profiled, please share their name with us. You can DM us or you can send us a voice message on our Anchor platform, which you can do with any other feedback as well. We look forward to growing together. I hope that you're inspired and will continue to be inspired and allow us to continue to share these stories with you. Until next time, I hope you walk the talk in your life because you never know, I could be profiling you next.